Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That's secondhandbookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everyone. Happy Saturday. As always, I'm Sarah, and thank you for joining me this week on our journey through the stand. So real quick, before we get into chapter 65, I have, um, as I was looking over my schedule for the podcast, I realized that uh, we have about 13 more chapters to go. And I know that might seem like a lot, but in a 78-chapter book, we are coming around the home stretch of this novel. There is still a lot to be done. Um, I don't think that we'll finish this until probably deep into the fall, which is fine. And I do still plan on reviewing the 1994 miniseries. And hopefully, if we're lucky, we'll still be getting the stand miniseries from CBS All Access, which I will be doing a episode-by-episode review of that when it finally airs. I'm not sure if it's going to be a weekly release or if they're just going to throw it all up on CBS All Access for binging. I'm not sure. I kind of hope it's a weekly release (laughs) so I don't overdo it. But I have also started to give some thought about what I'm going to do with this podcast when we are finished with The Stand. Um, I'm having a great time. I really, truly appreciate all of my listeners. So I've been wondering if I want to continue, grab a new King novel and review that chapter by chapter, or if I want to change the formatting to just reviewing King novels as I read them. I've also thought about perhaps doing a weekly review of Stephen King's short stories, one a week, because I truly do think that King's novellas and short stories are his strength. Some of uh, my favorite King stories are from his short story collections. So it's just something I'm starting to think about. And obviously, I'm going to reach out to you guys to see if you have any interest and me continuing my reviews of Stephen King's works, or if you're happy with the stand, the Circle Opens podcast being just a standalone podcast for um, this book. And I will be reaching out to you guys on social media just to see what you guys think. You can also email me if you have any thoughts or suggestions at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. And it's just something to think about. Um, I don't think it'll probably be winter time, maybe November uh, before I even start uh, really pushing into that. But I like to be a little prepared, <laughs> which is strange because I'm so unorganized everywhere else in my life. So anyway, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into chapter 65 of book three of The Stand. To recap the last two chapters, chapter 63 was a short one. In Las Vegas, Julie Lowry spots and recognizes Tom Cullen as he's coming back from his work at Indian Springs. In chapter 64, a dying man, otherwise known as Harold Lauder, is writing in his journal on the side of the road. The day before, he and Nadine had been riding on their cycles when Harold's bike slid on an oil slick, sending him over the guardrail and down the side towards a ravine. He shatters his leg pretty badly, but Nadine refuses to help him. 
It turns out Flag gave her a choice. Let Harold die this way or kill him when he gets to Vegas. Nadine chose this way, seeing it as mercy. Harold attempts to shoot her, but some unseen force pushes him down. And with Nadine gone, Harold writes to whomever might find his body that he's sorry for what he did to the free zone, that he was misled, though he couldn't deny that he had done everything of his own free will. After signing the letter Hawk, the nickname given to him in Boulder, Harold kills himself. We begin chapter 65 with Randall Flagg. He's camping out north of Las Vegas in Emigrant Valley, and he's pretty mopey. The book says moody, but I'm going to go with mopey here because I like that word better. (laughs) He has a small fire built where he's cooking a rabbit, and there are wolves nearby watching him, howling at the smell of the cooking meat. And all it took was a look from Flag for them to start fighting one another, providing him some entertainment. But even that got boring for him after a while. Flag was too busy thinking because things were not going well for him. There were bad omens in the wind, evil portents like bats fluttering in the dark loft of a deserted barn. The old woman had died, and at first he thought that was good. In spite of everything, he had been afraid of the old woman. She had died, and he had told Dana Jerkins that she had died in a coma. But was it true? He was no longer quite so sure. He had developed a sort of third eye. It was like the levitating ability, something he had and accepted, but which he didn't really understand. He was able to send it out to see, almost always, but sometimes the eye fell mysteriously blind. He had been able to look into the old woman's death chamber, had seen them gathered around her, their tail feathers still singed from Harold and Nadine's little surprise. But then the vision had faded away, and he had been back in the desert, wrapped in his bedroll looking up and seeing nothing but Cassiopeia in her starry rocking chair. And there had been a voice inside him that said, She's gone. They waited for her to talk, but she never did. However, Flag no longer trusted that voice because of the spies. The judge had been shot in the face. Dana had gotten away from him at the last second, despite knowing who the third spy was. That irritated him the most. He couldn't see the third spy. Anytime he tried to bring the image to his mind, all he saw was the moon. M-O-O-N, that spells moon. Who was it? And how had Dana been able to escape? He had known about her blade, but he hadn't known she would kill herself. There was also the matter of Harold. Harold had performed well. He had done everything Flag and Nadine told him to do. He had even created the dynamite bomb that would have completely decimated the Free Zone Committee, only Mother Abigail's return had ruined it. All of that work to only kill two of the committee members. And then Harold had tried to kill Nadine. And Nadine had nearly let him, standing there with her mouth open, frozen to the spot, almost as if she had wanted to die. And who was going to end up with all of this if Nadine died? Who? if not his son. Worse than that, Flagg was starting to forget his memories of who he had been before he was Randall Flagg. He was losing himself. Once he had been able to look back over the 60s, 70s, and 80s like a man looking down a double flight of stairs leading into a darkened room, now he could only clearly remember the events since the super flu. 
Beyond that, there was nothing but a haze that would sometimes lift a tiny bit, just enough to afford a glimpse of some enigmatic object of memory. Boo Dinkway, for instance, if there was ever such a person, before closing down again. The earliest memory he could now be sure of was of walking south on US-51, heading toward Mountain City and the home of Kit Bradenton, of being born, born again. He was no longer a man, if he had ever been one in the first place. In the past, he had been able to ditch out when things began to get flaky, but not this time. This was his time, his place. He would take his stand here. Perhaps it didn't matter that he hadn't been able to see the third spy or that he had lost control of Harold at the end. And somewhere there was Trash Can Man, as strange as Flag himself, maybe more so, out there in the desert, sniffing out weapons that would wipe out the free zone forever. And in a month or so, jets would be flying. And when he was sure his new bride had conceived, they would fly east. But there was another possibility as well. The eye would show him in time. He could go there, west of California, as a crow or a wolf or even an insect. Go to the place underground. There were beakers there, rows and rows of beakers, each with its own neat dymo tape identifying it. A super cholera, a super anthrax, a new and improved version of the bubonic plague. All of them based on the shifting antigen ability that had made the super flu so almost universally deadly. There were hundreds of them in this place. Assorted flavors, as they used to say in the Lifesavers commercials. How about a little in your water-free zone? How about a nice airburst? Some lovely Legionnaire's disease for Christmas? Or would you rather have the new and improved swine flu? Randy Flagg, the Dark Santa, and his National Guard sleigh with a little virus to drop down every chimney. He would wait, and he would know the right time when it came round at last. Something would tell him. Yes, things would be fine. He was on top, and he would stay there. Early the next morning, Nadine headed down I-15 on her Vespa. The cycle was starting to die, all the mileage and wear going through the mountains, the lack of maintenance. Nadine was still coming to terms with the fact that Harold had tried to kill her. She had known Harold would die. Flag had come to her in a dream and told her what would happen. He had promised a quick, painless accident, but it hadn't been quick or painless. And Harold had nearly killed her. How dare he even try such a thing? Nadine tried to tell herself it was Flag trying to scare her to warn her, but that made no sense. Deep down, she knew this was something Flag hadn't been prepared for. Harold could have put a bullet between her eyes, and it wouldn't have been Flag's doing either way. She called the voice a liar. Flag knew everything, where the smallest sparrow had fallen. No, that's God, the voice replied implacably. God, he's not. You're alive through blind chance, and that means that all beds are off. You owe him nothing. You can turn around and go back if you want to. But where would she go? It was laughable. But if Flag didn't know Harold would defy him and strike back at Nadine, what else didn't Flag know? But it was too late. There was no turning back. She continued on the road that led to Flag. The Vespa died that afternoon. There was a grinding clank deep in its guts, and the engine stalled. She could smell something hot and abnormal like frying rubber drifting up from the engine case. 
Her speed had dropped from the steady 40 she had been maintaining until she had been putting along at walking speed. Now she trundled it over to, into the breakdown lane and cranked the starter a few times, knowing it was useless. She had killed it. She had killed a lot of things on her way to her husband. She had been responsible for wiping out the entire Free Zone Committee and all of their invited guests at that final explosive meeting. And then there was Harold. Also, say hey, and by the way, let's not forget Fran Goldsmith's unborn baby. It made Nadine sick, literally. But she continued to walk down the road, at one point hoping that Flag would send someone for her. But then she knew he wouldn't. She would arrive in Vegas, hungry, thirsty, and burning from the desert sun. The woman, who had taught small children at a private school in New England, would be gone, as dead as Napoleon. With her luck, the small voice which snapped and worried at her so, would be the last part of the old Nadine to expire. But in the end, of course, that part would go too. At one point, she took off her blouse, not caring if she got sunburnt, and by dusk, she was a horrible color of red. The cool air that came with the evening made her shiver. She had left her camping supplies with the Vespa, and she didn't dare try to sleep in one of the abandoned cars. They were all but tombs of the dead. She would just keep walking. Soon Nadine realized that it was cold. Too cold. And Nadine suddenly knew that he was there. Flag called to her, sitting on the hood of an old sedan, his legs crossed, hands laid lightly on his knees. He smiled gently, but Nadine could see his eyes were anything but gentle. He reaches for her, and she took his hands, feeling the heat from his skin. His hands slipped around hers and then closed over them, tight, like handcuffs. When he tried to kiss her, Nadine turned her face, causing his lips to press against her jaw rather than her lips. Flag wasn't fooled, and he grinned mockingly. He revolted, Nadine. But revulsion was only a scaly crust over something worse, a caked and long-hidden lust, an ageless pimple finally brought to a head and about to spew forth some noisome fluid, some sweetness long since curdled. Side note, if King ever decides he's tired of writing horror, he could totally write romance with that passage. <laughs> oh, he's got such a way with words. I love it. Nadine asked what she should call him. She had known him for most of her life and she never knew his name. Who promised her to him and why? Flag responds, his real name is Richard, though Nadine is doubtful. But he also tells her that he had forgotten who promised her to him. Nadine thinks about running, but she's aware it's no use. Still, she tries to resist. When Flag tells her to come with him into the desert and be his wife, she says no. But Flag responds, it's far too late to say no. He lays her down on the bedroll beside his fire and unzips his jeans. And that is when Nadine begins to scream. Nadine peeled forth scream after scream and tried to crawl away. And he grabbed her. And then she was holding her legs shut with all her strength. And when one of those blank hands inserted itself between them, they parted like water. And she thought, I will look up. I will look up at the moon. I will feel nothing and it will be over. It will be over. I will feel nothing. 
I'm not going to get detailed in what happens next because it is not a pleasant experience for Nadine or the reader, if you ask me. It's quite disturbing and upsetting. And it's certainly not the way Nadine probably imagined this would go. At some point, though, Nadine watches Flag's face melt away. Now it was the shaggy face of a demon lolling just above her face, a demon with glaring yellow lamps for eyes, windows into a hell never even considered, and still there was that awful good humor in them, eyes that had watched down the crooked alleys of a thousand tenebrous night towns. Those eyes were glaring and glinting and finally stupid. He was dead cold and old, older than mankind, older than the earth. Again and again, he filled her with his night spawn, screaming laughter. Earth, light, coming, coming again. The last shriek coming out of her to be wiped away by the desert wind and carried into the farthest chambers of the night, out to where a thousand weapons waited for their new owner to come and claim them. Shaggy demon's head, a lolling tongue deeply split into two forks. Its dead breath fell on her face. She was in the land of insanity now. The iron gates were closed. Afterward, Flag makes up the fire again and cooks another rabbit. The dazed and apathetic thing sitting beside him was his blushing bride. He leaned over and raised her hand out of her lap. When he let it go, it stayed in place, raised to the level of her mouth. He looked at this phenomenon for a moment and then put her hand back in her lap. There, her fingers began to wiggle sluggishly, like dying snakes. He poked two fingers at her eyes, and she did not blink. That blank stare just went on and on. He was honestly puzzled. What had he done to her? He couldn't remember. And it didn't matter, because she was pregnant, also catatonic, but that didn't matter either. She would breed his son and then die, her purpose served. He tried to feed the rabbit to Nadine, but some of the meat fell from her lips to her lap. And if she continued to stay that way, he would have to get her a nurse. Nadine said nothing, but stared up at the moon. Flag smiled and ate his wedding supper. Good sex always made him hungry. Later that night, he woke from a dream. Or a vision. They were closer now. But who? Who was closer? Who was they? Someone was coming. And someone was going. While he slept, someone had passed his camp heading east. The third spy, Flag didn't know. It was a full moon. Had the third spy escaped? That made him panic slightly. Yes, they had. But more importantly, who was coming? Again, there was that feeling of things going flaky around the edges. He lay down again, believing there would be no more sleep for him this night. But he did sleep. And by the time he drove into Vegas the next morning, he was smiling again, and he had nearly forgotten his night panic. Nadine sat docilely beside him on the seat, a big doll with a seed hidden carefully in its belly. He went to the Grand, and there he learned what had happened while he slept. He saw the new look in their eyes, wary and questioning, and he felt the fear touch him again with its light moth wings. So that's chapter 65, and Nadine finally succumbs to her fate, although not without some struggle. But first, we get an interesting look into Flag's mental state. Nearly everyone in Vegas is terrified of him. He can levitate, 
appear almost out of nowhere, causing people to go mad with just a look. Hell, he can look at a pack of wolves and cause them to get violent with each other. But he also has some weaknesses, or at least a weakness. He's starting to lose a grip on who he is, on who he was. In chapter 23, when we got introduced to him, we got quite a bit of history into Flag, into who he was prior to the superflu. But now Flag is having a hard time remembering anything about his life before Captain Trips. His earliest memory now is walking to the home of Kit Bradenton, of being born again. And before, when he was able to see with his eye, he knew things that he shouldn't have been able to know. He knew the judge was coming. He knew Dana was hiding her blade. He knew Mother Abigail had died, but he had believed that she died without speaking to her free zone committee or what was left of it. Now he wasn't so sure. And he wonders if she had spoken to her people before dying. And if she did, what did she tell them? (laughs) How can he trust the voice in his head anymore? Because Dana had managed to escape him. Harold, who had all been a puppet, nothing but a puppet to flag, had tried to kill Nadine, something that flag hadn't been able to foresee. And he couldn't see the third spy. All he got was the image of a moon whenever he tried. So we know the third spy is Tom, and his trademark saying, of course, is M-O-O-N, that spells, uh, well, you know, whatever he decides it spells. Flag knows that much, but given he's probably never seen or even talked to Tom Cullen in Vegas, it's kind of a useless clue to him. So Flag is well aware that things aren't going well for him, even if no one else in Vegas sees it, or if they do see it, they're not going to vocalize it. He is still determined to wipe out the free zone. He has his jets nearly ready to fly. And if that doesn't work, he imagines he can go to that underground lab in California and get his hand on any number of germ warfare to let loose in Boulder. I assume that this is the same lab that concocted Captain Trips. So Flag has several cards up his sleeve just in case. He is determined to stay on top no matter what. And of course, he plans to leave all of his power all of his leadership, quote-unquote, to his son. After his son is conceived by his bride, who, of course, is Nadine. I think it's really interesting that Flag is having so much trouble seeing what he's used to seeing. His frustration that he couldn't be sure if Abigail died in a coma or not, or who the spy is, or that Harold would have tried to kill Nadine. Is this something that God did? Or maybe Mother Abigail? Maybe one of them, or together both of them, put a veil over his eye to make things more difficult for him. And it had to be done, okay? Because before, Flag felt almost like an omnipotent being. He had magic, levitation. He's able to see everything that happens with his followers and beyond. We saw him, you know, excuse me, we saw him in Boulder watching Nadine. He's the one who knew that the Free Zone had found the ledger. He knew about Dana and the judge. He even knew what kind of car the judge would be driving. And if Flag had no weaknesses, how on earth could the Free Zone ever win this battle? There had to be some chink in his armor. Otherwise, this is not a fair fight. The Free Zone has to have some kind of a fighting chance. Otherwise, how do we get invested, knowing that everyone is truly doomed? Um, we obviously saw Flag through this book becoming a very dangerous adversary, as Glenn would call him, for the Free Zone. 
And it is quite frightening to see all of his abilities, all of his power. I mean, he's able to look at you and make you go mad with just that look. So King had to give his antagonist, his villain, some flaw. Even if it's just one, one is all it takes. This is the mark of a good villain anyway. Um, I want to see a little bit, I don't even want to say humanity or something relatable in our villain. I just want to see that there's something about them that can be exposed. That the good guys have even a slim chance of defeating them. So how will Flag overcome this weakness? Or will his arrogance be his undoing? His frustration is continuing to build. He's starting to lose his temper. We saw how he was with Dana when she refused to give him the name of the third spy. So to me, it's not even that his inability to see everything he needs to see will be his downfall. It could be his reaction to that weakness is what could take him down ultimately is just how he responds to it um, if he lets his anger get the better of him. So with Nadine, even now, after leaving Harold to die, she continues to have internal debates about what she's doing. The mere fact that Harold had tried to kill her and could have killed her is startling to her, not only because she didn't know Harold had it in him, but because Flagg hadn't foreseen the possibility. Flagg had promised her that Harold would die quickly and painlessly, but that hadn't happened. If Flagg hadn't been able to handle Harold, so, you know, what else could he lose his grip on? Nadine feels guilty for even thinking such a thing, but it's a rational and legit question. So much so that Nadine knows that she could turn around and head back east. But where would she go? She can never step foot in Boulder again. And she has no other option. Flag would find her regardless of where she went. Whereas, you know, Flag can protect her. He has protected her in the past, or at least kept watch. Nadine is left to her own devices when her Vespa dies. He makes her walk. She becomes hungry and thirsty without any shelter in the desert heat. And she gets a pretty bad sunburn by dusk. Of course, that's when she finally stumbles upon Flag, who is waiting for her. Almost immediately, she's repulsed by him. Yet there's still a yearning inside of her. And the way King describes it, yes, is pretty grotesque, as I said, like a pimple ready to erupt. There's no need for romantic prose here. This is not romantic. This isn't the kind of, you know, running across the field reunion for these two. Flag revolts her, but she knows what's coming, and she still craves it, even if it frightens her. Nadine had been having doubts about Flag for a while now, and being there in his arms, all of those doubts seem to have been affirmed. She does have questions, of course, but Flag, he answers them, but are his answers truthful? Is his name really Richard? He can't remember anything prior to Kit Bradenton, otherwise known as Chris Bradenton, which you know, by then he was already Randall Flagg, though one of his many names in the past had been Richard. She asks who promised her to him, but he says he can't remember. Or is he lying? Or is that the truth, considering he has forgotten so many other things? Flagg tells Nadine to be his bride, and she says no. It feels like a weak protest, but even to the end, she resists him. And then he assaults her over and over. It's almost demonic in the way it plays out, and in Nadine's eyes, his face changes into something horrific and inhuman. I often wonder if 
his face really did change to frighten her or if this was just how Nadine perceived him as this attack was happening. All Flag wants with her is to impregnate her. This is not a love story. Nadine is nothing to him but an incubator. And Nadine, when all is said and done, goes catatonic. We've seen what Flag has been doing to her over the course of the book. He's dipping into her life over the years, causing her hair to start to go white. And when he came to her at the abandoned drive-in in Boulder to tell her that the Free Zone Committee had found the ledger, his essence had entered her to control her physically for a bit, causing her hair to go completely white from the shock of it. And now, having him physically enter her, it's too much. She loses all sense of herself. She's gone mad, essentially. Flag finds this mildly alarming as he has no idea what he's done to her. He can't remember. <laughs> but what does it matter? She's going to have his child and then she'll die. Like Harold, Nadine serves a purpose and wants that finished. What use does he have for her? I know she's been involved in some really horrible things, but I do feel for Nadine. Probably because all of this time she struggled with her fate. Maybe she didn't resist hard enough, but I think her one shot was going to Larry, who had rejected her. After that, she seemed to embrace what she was meant to do, although I feel like she had a completely different vision of Flag and why she was promised to him. If she had known what he truly was, what he planned to do to her, what her purpose was, would she have fought harder? Like Harold said in Chapter 64, he was misled. Was Nadine misled? Manipulated, yes, but like Harold, Nadine made a lot of her own choices, even when she felt like she didn't have any other options. It was like she was almost resigned to what was coming, and she clearly was not 100% on board with it, but she felt alone, and she had nowhere else to turn. What else was she going to do but succumb to flag? We see that she even has regret and guilt over what she did to the Free Zone Committee, and at this point, Nadine believes they killed everyone in that house because she's unaware that Mother Abigail had returned and the explosion had only killed Sue and Nick, of the committee members at least. She recognizes her role in murdering so many people, including Fran's unborn child, so there is a little bit of conscience left in Nadine at that point. Earlier in the book, when we first met her, uh, she always thought that, especially in a post-apocalyptic world where there was already so much death, Murder would be the ultimate sin, and yet she did it. She committed mass murder, actually, and now she's gone. She might as well be dead, like Harold. Will she come out of her catatonic state, or will she merely exist to bear Flag his child before she dies, or is murdered by Flag? So what do you think? Is Nadine deserving of our sympathy, our pity? Did she get what was coming to her, like Harold? I almost feel like where she is now is a fate worse than death. Harold had been able to end it. I don't want to say on his own terms, but he had that option of taking himself out of the equation and taking himself out of the pain and of his slow death. Nadine cannot do that. Flag will make sure of that, right? As long as she's bearing his child, she's going to be protected. And we also learn, thanks to Flag's dream or vision, that he knows someone is coming. He says they're coming, so it's more than one. Who is they? We know who they are. He also knows someone is going. 
while he slept, someone passed by his camp heading east. His gut tells him it was the third spy, which could be problematic, but he's more focused on who may be headed to Vegas. With it being a full moon, we are pretty sure, confident, that it's Tom who passed by. Tom, who knew to head back to the free zone during the full moon, because M-O-O-N, that spells full moon. So Tom managed to slip under Flag's radar. He left Vegas heading east, while Stu, Larry, Glenn, and Ralph continue to head west. I know they're not going to pass each other, but it's just such a strange feeling knowing that Tom is headed back to safety and our four heroes are heading to danger. So at the end of this chapter, we're told that Nadine and Flag get to the Grand in Vegas, and Flag is told what had happened while Flag slept, something that made him feel fear all over again. We don't know what that is yet, but guess what? We will next week in chapter 66. And that is it for this episode of The Circle Opens. Uh, what'd you guys think? Uh, do you feel for Nadine? Because I do. And I know that's wrong because she is a villain in a sense, but I feel like she's more of a sympathetic villain. I just find her such to be such a tragic character. Just one little decision could have changed her whole life. And I can't lie. I really do think that Nadine is one of King's more complicated and complex characters that he's ever written. I know in terms of the stand with female characters, I think a lot of the attention is shown on Fran. But I think Nadine is a more well-rounded, well-developed character than Fran. I do love Fran, don't get me wrong. But I just don't think Nadine gets the respect that she's due from this book. Uh, maybe because she is seen as a villain by so many people that she's not a heroine at all. But she is just, she's fascinating to me. And she is one of my favorite characters only because um, the characters that make me really think and feel something, whether it's happiness or repulsion or sympathy, those characters speak to me more than anything else. So Nadine, how we love to love Nadine. So I'm eager to see what happens with her in Vegas. So with that being said, you guys, I hope you're all staying safe and being healthy. I'm not going to get into the, how depressed I am about this COVID stuff and everything getting canceled and all that. But you guys know you're living it with me. So hang in there. Um, if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would be fantastic. It really helps the podcast out a lot. I truly do appreciate it. It makes me smile every time I see uh, one of you guys leave a review or rating. And thank you to everybody who sent me emails at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. You're all amazing. You can also find me at social media places. <laughs> it's early on social media at The Circle Opens. And I think I'm going to leave it there because I've only had one cup of coffee this morning and clearly um, I need another. So with that being said, you guys, M-O-O-N, that spells. See you next week. <laughs>